Welcome back to Build It, the non-league soccer podcast where we talk to non-league soccer people and other people. Uh, this week, uh, we have a guest who has his own podcast, where we found him. Uh, Neil, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself, please, my friend? Ooh, introducing myself. So I'm Neil Horwitz. I have been in this sports world for over 10 years now uh, and loving every minute of it. Uh, coming up in the social media world, uh, when social media back in the stone age of social media and have grown up with the space. Um, from social fan engagement to monetization and sponsorships. I've worked with everything from the tiniest minor league teams to the biggest uh, major pro sports teams and college athletics, everything in between. And for nearly 10 years, I've also had my own my own podcast, the Digital and Social Media Sports Podcast, where I get to interview folks primarily that work in the greater sports space and the social media and, and beyond and picking their brains, learning from them, learning from the best, and hopefully sharing some of that knowledge with, with the masses so they can learn along with me. But the, the passion, I, I love this industry. I love how it continues to grow and in many ways kind of leads the way of, of innovation. You know, like you look now with Metaverse and Web3 and all that in sports, you know, always the, t- does tend to be a, a leading indicator, or at least a leader, because, because our, our customers are fans, they're passionate. And so they're willing to, to dive in and try new things because they want to get that much closer to the team. So I'm going off on tangent now, but that's a quick intro of me. I'm San Diego, uh, born and raised, so uh, definitely love SoCal, but love what you guys are doing uh, with your soccer club and your soccer league, and looking forward to, to talking a little about just everything and anything when it comes to social and, and uh, engaging fans at all levels. Lovely, lovely. Nice brief introduction. I think this is going to be a very easy podcast. A man, who, a man who started a podcast 10 years ago knows what he's doing. He's not not one of these people that just jumped on in the middle of COVID like, oh, I don't know, us. Like us. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they wanted something to do. That voice you heard in the background was, of course, John Hall, Director, President, Chief Poncho, Poncho Wearer of DeKalb County United. Hi, John. I was wondering if you were going to say hello. Hey, buddy. Uh, well, yeah. You know, people kind of assume we come together now. I feel like we're just sort of stuck at the, joined at the hip. John's joining us from the new DeKalb County United headquarters, which, if we stuck this thing on on YouTube, would look beautiful. But we, there will be, to, go, to tie into what we're talking about, there will be video clips of the new social headquarters, and they'd look beautiful. We've got a whole lot of merch. Um, but anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, Neil, the Digital and Social Media Sports Podcast is a catchy little title. Um as you alluded to, you started it 10 years ago when digital wasn't the thing that it is now. Was I mean, it was a thing, but it wasn't the thing. What were you thinking? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've, kind of, I can, I've had a, a few epiphanies and revelations throughout my, my life, my career. And like, early on, I, I really realized how Twitter in particular and LinkedIn to a lesser degree there were the, all these conversations happening, all these opportunities to learn from others. Like the first time when I, I, I was really young, when the first time I had someone reply to me on Twitter and I was like, holy crap, someone I don't really know, but I respect them, like, and replied to me and, and all of a sudden we conversed. And, and then I, I started looking for opportunities to, to gain knowledge and to have these, these smart conversations. And I got a little bit into podcasts. There wasn't much out there that was talking about uh, what I want to talk about, which is social media and sports. I found uh, Sean Callanan has his Sports Geek podcast, which preceded mine, and that was kind of a little inspiration. Was I wanted to do something that was a little more social media focused, and because I've always been kind of a a, a self starter um, and, and a go getter, I guess I decided you know it doesn't exist, so I'm going to create it. So I figured out how the heck to create a podcast, and got really really lucky um, that I a couple people that I reached out to, to to have those first conversations said yes. 
I, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my first, I, I always tell them after, on the anniversary of the podcast every year, uh, in, in, in August of 2023, it will be 10 years, uh, I always reach out to Brian Srabian. He is the now VP of social. I think when we originally spoke, he was like a senior manager or director for the San Francisco Giants. And he is one of the luminaries of the space. And he was my very first guest. And to be able to have someone of that stature and to be able to have that kind of a conversation, I was like, I was addicted to it. It was so, so good. And and I'm always of the of the mindset too that as I'm learning what you know, if I'm taking time out of out of my night, whatever, to look up, oh, this team is playing in MLS Cup or this team's playing in Champions League, to look at what they're doing on their website, on their social, on their app, and just taking time because that helps me learn. Something early on in my career is taking 10, 15, 20 minutes to try to look at look at what a team is doing. Checking uh, something I did um, when I first started with the Anaheim Ducks as a social media producer is I would literally say, okay, well, at least once a day, I'm going to look at one team every day and just look at all their channels, including web, including app, um, and and look at what are they doing because it helps you get ideas. And then I started thinking, okay, well, if I'm taking the time to do this, I, I might as well share this knowledge with others. So I started you know tweeting about it a little bit more. And then when I started having phone calls just to get to know people and learn from them, I was like how can I share this with uh, this, with others as well? And they can learn along with me because it, you know, it's great for me to learn myself, but if I can spread that knowledge to the rest of the community, like that's, that's even better. And so that, that all kind of coalesced into the podcast and then selfishly, it allows me to reach out to people that I really admire and want to want to meet and get to know and allows me to meet them and get to know them. And then they're you know part of my contacts and I can hit them up later. And, and we have these great conversations where I get to ask questions that I always want to ask and I get to learn and hopefully others learn along with me. And so selfishly, it's, it forced me to, to keep up with the industry. It forces me to meet people that I would never um, have otherwise have met potentially. And hopefully it delivers some value to you know, others that listen to it. And, and I don't really, to be honest, I don't keep track of numbers that closely. It's, it's a kind of pain they ask to track podcast numbers, to be honest. Uh, but every time like, you know, a professor or a student or, Heck, like an executive, even more so, like a senior executive, says that they listen to an a, an episode or a podcast. Like it blows me away, and it just continues to help that much more. But really, after every conversation I have, after every, every any interview I have, I always just thank my lucky stars. People are willing to talk to me when I can only offer them, you know, a heart a hearty thanks. And if they're ever in San Diego, I will buy you a beer. <laughs> Absolutely, it goes back to what we were saying off air, right? Just like like you stick a microphone in front of people, and people are far more prepared to talk bizarrely than if than without a microphone <laughs> but if you just if you need help you just ask right the whole point of us doing this podcast was to find out other ways of doing the stuff that we were blumbering our way through and the number of people that have a thought that we knew what we were doing is quite ridiculous but b have been prepared <laughs> to help us get navigate through is just like it's humbling is like no one wants anyone to fail when you do when you're in the same area yes you've got your rivals, be they, be they sporting or even professional, right? There's people that you come across in life that you know. But ultimately, we're doing the same thing, and we want the same result, which is to enjoy what we're doing and to put good out in the world. He said, "Some somebody sound like Buddha." Yeah. Um, all right. What's been getting to the crux of it very quickly? What's been the one of the most re recurrent theme? I don't know if recurrent the word. Recurring, I guess. What's been one of the most recurring themes that, through your time of speaking to people over the last 10 years of um, what of, of best practice in within terms of social media? That's the, the million dollar question, isn't it? Uh, I, I mean, I think it, like 
what always continues to astound me because social media has changed so much throughout the years, as we know, you know, you know social networks come and go, trends come and go, memes come and go. Um, but this, there's certain principles of fandom, fan engagement, of storytelling that continue to persist. And, you know, those are basic human needs and behaviors that, that always resonate. And, and, and uh, we, we talk a lot about, oh, like, what content should we put on our YouTube shorts? Or, you know, how do we engage fans on TikTok? And yes, you can get into the weeds of, well, this is what worked in 2021. This is what worked in 2022. But ultimately, it comes down to, you know, driving that emotional connection between fan and player or fan and team. Um, and that sense, that sense of, you know, whether it's good against evil or, you know, something that we can rally around. I, I'll tell you something that was one of my favorite podcast interviews recently was with a fan. I forget her exact title, but she was with Evil Geniuses, which is an esports uh, team, esports orientation. Something I tried to dive into a little bit, and we talked about how you try to connect casual fans who don't know anything about Dota or um, whatever. Uh, fill in your favorite game that you might not know about. I don't really know much about the esports space, but we talked about how you find those basic good versus evil that basic uh you know us against them type mentality or you know overcoming the odds the underdog you know the david versus the goliaths and those storylines don't go anywhere and and those are like you look at even at professional wrestling that's what they were built on the heels versus the faces or or, or whatnot or vice versa and so being able to have that storyline which is ultimately you know what helps connect fans to sports in the first place is Having a, a a dog in the fight is to, to some in some capacity, but ultimately seeing these stories play out and having a way to relate to them of being like, okay, this person, no one expected them to come in and win, but look at them, they overcame the odds and they did it. And having that really cool triumph of that storytelling has always resonated. And, and, and to that, it, you may package it differently based on the platform. You might turn it into you know a thirty second clip for for TikTok versus a you know a five minute long form video for YouTube. But it's still about how do we tell those those stories and give fans a reason to care. And it goes back. I mean, it, if you go back to the, the very, I'm, I'm going to geek out a little bit too much now, but the very, very roots of what makes for good stories, it goes back to the epic of Gilgamesh and, you know, and the original, the, the OG story. And it really hasn't changed that much since about, you know, protagonist, antagonist, overcoming, a, a, overcoming the odds, overcoming a conflict. Um, and, you know, being able to come out on top. And that's what, that's why we really fall in love with this stuff and why you can, you know, watch a, a crazy underdog overcome it and be like, and have that emotional, that, that, that goosebumps moment. And so there's a lot more that play, plays into it, but I would say that's something that continues to stick out over the years. And, and my guests will say it as well, is that those principles still guide them even when they're 10, 15, 20 years into their career is, you know, how do we tell good stories? Um, because that is platform, that's trend that is social ag agnostic. Totally, totally. Storytelling is the thing, right? Whether it's in the course of just live tweeting the game, which is one version of storytelling, all the way through to just telling the story of the brand and the the, the continual evolution, the brand is horrible phraseology, but there you go. But, and then the <laughs> continual evolution of that sporting market. Um, it's, it's a, it's a no-brainer and also the most complicated thing in the world, I think. It's not the most complicated thing in the world, but it's quite complicated. Um, but the, the principle is fairly simple, right? Just be open, be honest, and be yourself. I think you can... Uh, social, media, social media doesn't allow you to hide behind a veil of inauthenticity, or inauthenticity for very long. 
because the true brand comes out. I yeah, I always think. Oh, sorry, sorry, Neil. I I te- what you said makes a lot of sense. What I always say is like I I didn't tune in to watch uh, the Buccaneers play the Patriots two years ago. I wanted to see Brady against Belichick. I didn't really care. I couldn't tell you the score. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even know if they played, but like it's the story of this former player against his former team or this or like that's NFL to me is like king of all that stuff because it's all about the, you know, where's Odell going now? Like who cares? Like nobody, (laughs) nobody watches. I mean, not nobody. There's a lot of football people, but so many of us casual fans watch the game just to watch the game. We're not watching for the X's and O's and this, we're watching for the storylines is Justin Fields developing. Yes, like it isn't about the play, the game, the score. It's like it's just all these little stories that kind of like kind of meld together. Um, I got a question for you. The yeah. one, a couple of the articles that I read that came from your podcast, you had talked about principles of fandom a second ago, um, and and I think almost maybe two of those mentioned like actually categorizing fans a little bit, like the avid fans and the mm-hmm. casual. I don't remember the terminology, but like. And then creating content sort of for each of them in a different way. Um, can yeah. you kind of elaborate on that just a little bit? Totally. Yeah, totally. And this is something that has really has come out in my interviews as well as just in general marketing principles and something that, that I've developed throughout my own personal career as well. Uh, and early on, you think about how do we develop super fans? You, you almost think about like a fan spectrum. So you might have your casual observer who – Okay, if the game is on TV and I'm, I'm, I'm around and nothing else to do, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll watch. Or I know someone who's a big fan, so I'll at least like, you know, check the headlines to see what the score was of the game. Uh, and then you might have your, you, know, you, you move up the spectrum. I'm not going to try to give a label to every single point in the spectrum, but and you might go to a game and you sample it. Okay, I've been to a game. All right, this is kind of cool. I'm, I'm out there for a social outing. I might not know much, much about the team, but maybe that one game I have so much fun that I go to another game and then I start to learn a little more. I, I look up on, on Google or I start following them on Instagram to get a, get a better feel for this team. Cause I want to know, Oh, that player that had that really sick goal, you know, I want to learn more about him or, you know, I want to learn more about this, this player who everyone's uh, wearing their Jersey. And then you might go to a, a few more games and then you might get, and now I'm going to put myself out a little bit, but uh, thinking about working in the pro sports space of, okay, can we get them to be a, from a single game buyer to a, a mini plan or a multi-game package. Uh, and then from there, can we get them to be, you know, a half, a half season ticket holder and eventually to a full season ticket member or season ticket holder. And then from there, turn them into a, a fan evangelist. A fangelist is my, my term that I, I, I want to say I invented, but I probably didn't. But someone who is that person who is the member of the group who's like, all right, what are we going to do this weekend? Oh, we got to go to this game because of course we do. They're like, we have to. Or what do you mean you're not a fan of this team? Like, what? Are you crazy? Or... Like the person that wears the, the jersey and the hat everywhere that is just a walking billboard and they, they think it's crazy if you're not a fan of that team. That's sort of like the, the super fan top of the spectrum that wants to know everything, anything about the team. And from a social media perspective, you definitely notice those fans because those are the ones who are liking every post or commenting on every post and are always there. And you almost get their They're like the furniture. They're always around. You get to know them a little bit, too. And even myself being behind some social handles, I would get to know some of these super fans personally. And you, you get to you know, learn about them, learn about what makes them super fans, um, and then ultimately use that to try to bring your casuals up that fan spectrum a little bit. And so for the casual fans, you know, they're not going to be as interested in who's in, the starting, who's in the starting lineup or what, what moves we're making or 
you know, who are we going to resign or, or sign in the offseason? The casual fans, how do you get, how do you, you have to find ways to get them to, you know, sample it, to, to come to that first game or to check out your team for the first time. So there are ways to do that by finding what are their passion points that we can connect to? What are the, the, the points of intersection of interest that we can connect to? So sometimes, you know, I, I, I talked about this recently with, I think it was Harry McIntyre when we were talking about trying to develop soccer fans in the U.S. Um, or I might even been with another person, but thinking about how um, fans in the in Europe could connect to American football and saying and using Christian Pulisic as kind of that connective tissue of hey, he's from Pennsylvania, from Hershey, Pennsylvania. He's a big whatever. We he, we can say he's an Eagles fan. I'm not exactly sure if he is, but he's a, a football fan, American football fan. You know him. Look at him at this NFL game. Oh, you should get to, you should come come check out this NFL game because he's there and he and he and he has he's interested in it. So that that sort of little bit of way to get them interested in learning more about the at least the event and then the team and then the sport through that initial point of intersection. Other ways it might be through music. Hey, look at us and our halftime show at the Super Bowl for the NFL, for example. You can get them to sample that, and then that can help them sample the game and learn more about what's going on with the game. And so you have to find sort of that lowest common denominator of your team, your your sport, your fans and the potential fans of tomorrow as well. And then another thing that kind of goes underutilized is trying to empower your super fans to, to be evangelists, to be fan evangelists. How can you help them? They, they want to recruit fans for you. So how can you help them, whether, whether it's you know, working with them more directly, inviting them into the fold a little bit, um, you know, turning them into your, they, they ultimately are a voluntary marketing force. And, and so you have to think about ways to, to leverage that and mobilize them because they're the ones in the, in the community that, that can truly make a difference more so than any, anything you can do from an advertising perspective. So I reached out yesterday, ironically. Uh, uh, Nick gets tired of me doing this. I, I had this like, you know, man, we need to like maybe put together like a brand ambassador program for the club. Just people mm -hmm. in the community that just go out and, you know, they all have the stuff already. Just wear your stuff. And I reached out to a, a friend of mine that um, works in marketing that Nick and I haven't talked to her yet, but um, just like, what does that program look like? What is it? And, and uh, you know, to, to provide some context for our club and, and probably many of the people that listen to us that are working on a very low budget, small community, you know, uh, for a lot of clubs, maybe a hundred fans showing up at a game is a, is a good day. Um, hmm. You know, obviously it's, it, it's hard to give away the store and have 50 brand ambassadors and give them season tickets. And like, that's <laughs> half of your income from that. Um, but trying to figure out how to put a, like a, a simplistic yet, uh, I don't know, some kind of program that there's actually some meat and potatoes to and, and put something together to help spread the word. As, as I've said a thousand times on this podcast, there's no replacement for boots on the ground. How do you get more boots on the ground? Really? Yeah, and those ambassador programs are can be can be extremely helpful. Um, you know, we, we've seen success in the past with, you know, whether it's students on campus being a being someone that's handing out tickets or or at least handing out merch or swag or just being that person, being that fan evangelist that is the the diehard fan, and having them in the in the community or finding groups that already exist and then finding who's the you know the leaders of those groups. And that's something that I'm sure you guys have talked about quite a bit of just. Like ultimately what you're doing as a, as, a, as a smaller sports team in a community is you are a community rallying point. You're a place where people can come together to socialize, to meet up with friends, 
you know, it's it's almost like, especially when you're not talking about, um, you know, a, a heavy broadcast, uh, you know, reliant league or team where you are competing with other social outings, so uh, other social activities. Hey, what are we going to do this weekend? You want to go meet up and grab some grab some dinner at this new restaurant, or no? Let's let's go to the Cop County game because it's it's and we can have some fun there and meet up. Like it's, I know I'm going off on a quick tangent here, but like a lot of a lot of what sports allows us to do is it's a reason it gives us an excuse to connect. And I can tell you like there are like right now the um, Major League Baseball off season. There's a bunch of you know free agent signings. There are text threads that are relatively dormant until there's something going on with our with the Padres, with our, our baseball team. And all of a sudden now, friends I, don't, I haven't talked to in a couple months, I'm talking to them because there, there's something to talk about. Or similarly with, with a sporting event, I, the people that I may not have an excuse to go out with or see, if I have that rallying point of, hey, I can, do you want to go to this game? It's a, it's a reason to socialize. And so having that ability to think about what are the other opportunities to socialize that are in our community and how can we leverage those existing groups and use our game as another place that they can go to, to socialize? Or people that, that may not even have a group yet and are looking to find a group to socialize with. That's where some of these you know, group seal, sales and group nights and finding those other points of interest come into play. That's why you see a lot of these, you know, these gimmicky promo nights sometimes, even in the major pro sports space. You might have a I'm, I'm going to use a hyperbole, a, a terrible example, but like whatever, like a knitting night or something like that. People that love to knit or people that love to play Wordle or whatever it might be, like things that connect people from a social and group perspective that you can then take that opportunity to connect them even further um, and through using your sport, your, your event, your game as connective tissue. And so when you think about you know, developing an ambassador program or ambassadors in the community, you know, where, where are people already uh, congregating and how can you infiltrate that a little bit? And something that, we'll, that we often hear about when you're interviewing for Someone that's going to be in marketing for a sports team, or someone that's going to be especially in the fan development space for a sports team, or or a grassroots marketer, is what do you, what do you do? You know, do? What do you enjoy doing in the community? Like, do you play on a co-ed softball team? Do you like to whatever go mountain climbing and other things that don't require physical activity too, not just uh, sporting events? Um, but that's that shows okay. How is this person out there in the community? How are they meeting people? And then ultimately using that person that as kind of your stand-in for your ambassador or a potential ambassador. Okay, this person can help me recruit other fans or other groups to become fans of my team, and and you know make my team, my game, another stopping point for that social activity to take place. A lot of rambling for me, but I hope I hope that there's some cogent uh, sense in there. <laughs> no, that's that's good stuff. Actually, um, it made me think of another thing that um, Nick and I have talked about, and I'm curious your opinion of this. This is a little little off topic, but a little bit. I think I think you'll have a perspective. Um, one of the things that we try to do is is generally support the community. We try to that, that's a broad thing, right? Mm -hmm. We try to if somebody's having a, a food drive, we try to promote that. Nick does a good job through our social channels and and how do we supplement that? We donate to you know like silent auction, auction raffle baskets for various foundations and different things, and so mm -hmm. we're very we diversify quite a bit. You know, kind of like anybody we can help, we reach out and help. Uh, you know, within our means, um, we Nick and I've talked about this through our our off season a little bit of of should we instead of being a little bit of everything, should we focus and be a little bit more more sensitive to like, hey, we are going to really focus on supporting youth organizations or animals mm -hmm. or education and STEM or the homeless or 
should there be like more of a primary focus of what we are about is community too big of a story to tell as we're trying to create those emotional connections with people or like, is there such a thing as being too broad brush with our community first motto? Yeah, that's a great talk or a great question to, to consider. I think there are different ways to look at, especially when you're looking at a smaller team. We oftentimes in the, in the greater you know sports and greater marketing space, to be honest, uh, think about touch points and fan touch points. And you know, how many times can we have a fan encounter our team during a given day? They might see a billboard, then they see our logo in whatever, a coffee shop, and then they, then they see this and they see this. And if we get enough touch points, then eventually they'll, they'll, they won't be able to forget about us. Uh, and and they'll come to a game. And then you have kind of the other side of the spectrum of, to your point of how do we go in and really think about you know, getting that deep engagement, that deeper level, you know, have, making a fan love us instead of just making a fan aware of us. And I, I think to, especially for the smaller type type uh, aspect of trying to go after those super fans and getting, getting those fans that, to, to love you. And so really focusing on, you know, what can we do that can have a deep engagement effect because that's that's how you build those more fan evangelists, and those fan evangelists have that multiplier effect, so that they will do become you know do the marketing for you, and one fan begets two or three or four fans, as opposed to that more shallow touch point that might get you those those touch points that eventually will add up, but you'll have to do a lot more work just to get one one fan as opposed to one fan to be getting you a, a lot more fans. You know, it's something that when I work directly for teams, I would almost make it a goal. Um, to and and you, when you're talking about a major pro sports team and you have whatever 20,000 seats to to fill in a in a given arena, it's a, a lot tougher to to think about this. But when you're at the grassroots level, to try, I would, I would try to say, how can I create at least one super fan today? And sometimes that would mean, you know, if I saw someone, you know, met, put up a, a cool tweet about our team on Twitter, I would, you know, maybe DM them from the from the official team account and you know, say, hey, we see what you're doing. We love you. You know, thanks so much. And oftentimes that that's a, a, a that's something that that fan will remember for maybe not for life, but at least for for the rest of the week and maybe tell some other people about it is, is yo, my favorite team just just messaged me. That's, that's really freaking cool. Or even you maybe even grab a player on the side and be like, hey, it's, it's this guy's birthday. Can you uh, you know say happy birthday? And you, you send them that message. And all of a sudden now, like they're going to they're going to talk about you every time at, 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 at parties, at family events and be like, Hey, did you know what happened on my birthday? Like, this is crazy. And all of a sudden now you have that person who is spreading the, that good word. And so if you can have those deep engagements that whether it's going to not, I may not stick with someone for life, but stick with someone to that emotional level that all of a sudden they can't imagine life without you and can't imagine someone not being a fan of your team. Like that's really where you're going to move the needle for the, for the long term. And it might, it might feel good to, to have, you know, whatever, 10,000 people see, see your message. But if they if if it's just a shallow you know, effect and not really getting at to their core, it's it's going to have a, a fleeting effect. Whereas if you affect two hundred people at, at a deeper level, like they're going to love you that much more. And ultimately, if you're trying to fill one hundred, two hundred, three hundred seats, like it's it's going to be through those those diehard, those deeper, more passionate fans than the than the, than the casual. Not to say there's not a room room for both of them, but I would say when you're thinking about you know allocating resources, try to really think about what's going to help you, you know, build that snowball, build those fan evangelists that are going to help market for you, as opposed to just trying to be everything to everybody. Sure. And I think as well, in a small market, in, in a bizarre kind of way, it's easier to have that impact, right? Because um, for one, chances are, if you don't know 
Person X, somebody on your staff knows Person X, or at least knows someone who knows Person X. There's an instant connection there. But more than that, like <laughs> these things don't have to cost money. They just cost five seconds, five minutes of your time. And they, again, to your point, they don't make a life-changing effect, but they have an effect, they have an impact that um, that human touch, that you know, handcrafted, bespoke thing that, you know, the Etsy touch almost, um, that Amazon of the MLS doesn't have. It's that it's authentic because it's personal and it's immediate and it's heartfelt and it isn't it doesn't come with a bottom line of this trans it doesn't it's not transactional. Yeah. It's authentic. Yeah, there's a famous line by um I think what's his what's his name? There's a, a famous entrepreneur who says to do things that don't scale. And that's where you get to kind of take advantage of the fact that you're a smaller team. And because a bigger team is going to always think about, well, how do we scale this? You know, how do we make this reach that many more people? When you're smaller, take like take advantage of that, that you can do things that don't scale because it makes sense for you to do things that, that don't scale. And that really comes back to uh, to home there for you. Yeah. And another thing too on that, on that front, I, so a memory that has always stuck with me is I remember going to, so we, were, we had a team that we worked with in one of my jobs uh, that was based in El pa- a hockey team in El Paso, the El Paso Rhinos. And the El Paso Rhinos are the biggest freaking deal in town. It's amazing. They get like 3,000 fans out to their games. And this is like these kids are – these are kids playing hockey. They're basically like high school kids who are not going to be playing professionally. Um, and yet what really stuck with me was after the game, seeing these kids, seeing not the players but like you know five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids go up to these players and – they to them th- these players were rock stars. They might have, might as well have been around Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. And so like you, when you're in that community, when you're in, in a community and you are the team in the community, especially when you're talking about kids and youths, like these players are mean everything to them, and they aspire to be like them. And and so you don't want to lose that perspective. It's, it's easy to lose that perspective, especially as you you know start working in the space and become an adult and become jaded and all that. But when you see a kid looking up to a, a, a nine-year-old looking up to a sixteen-year-old being, and that's their hero all of a sudden, it's that—that's the kind of stuff that one will make that kid fall in love with the team and make and and you know him bugging his parents to take him to the next game and buy him some merchandise. Um, and, and so just you don't you don't forget that when you are part of a small community that you are often the biggest deal in that community to some people. For sure, for sure. Um, sidebar, just your talk of um, super fans. Is that? Did you adopt that phase before or after Britney Hodak? <laughs> I want. I want to say I, w- I was first. I, I I was using that. Okay. I was using that term. Uh, you know, over ten years ago. Yeah, right, good. Right. Sweet. I'm just curious. I'm a big fan <laughs> of Britney as well, but um, that's for, that's for another day. So, I'm going to nerd out for a second, John. You can stare out into the sky, this guy, for thirty <laughs> seconds. I I do this sort of stuff for a living, right? Digital marketing, whatever. But all the terminology confuses me, so I can only imagine it must confuse other people. <laughs> From your vantage point, explain to me the difference between a reel and a TikTok and a short. <laughs> I mean, they're all short form videos, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think the, the the goals that people are trying to accomplish them might be a little bit different at times. So with shorts, YouTube shorts, that is a part of YouTube. YouTube is really trying to push it because, you know, they want you to realize that there's both long form and short form content on their platform. And then, and there's different people that may prefer to watch long form versus short form, but with YouTube shorts, they, 
the people the people that are thriving on that platform ultimately they want you to go and watch their long form content and go that that's ultimately at least for now that's where they make their money if you are right. a creator on the platform tiktok similarly where they as opposed to trying to drive you to back to a long form video they're trying to get you to watch more of their short form videos because the more they watch the more they can work with sponsors and that's how they monetize on, on tiktok Reels now, reels. I mean, everything on the, everything on Instagram is a reel unless it's like over ten minutes or fifteen minutes, whatever it is. So, Instagram just put like, basically a video is a reel in that in, in that case. Um, but I, I I'm trying to remember there was a, who wrote this article. There was a really good article that tried to put into uh into context the difference between all those, and ultimately it centered around the the audience on those platforms of who you were who you were ultimately reaching and the way they kind of phrased it or or, um, or framed it was on Instagram, you're going to have a more mature audience, so to speak. It's not the best term to use, but, you know, not not as many of the preteens and, and the teens. And so yeah. who's on there? Why are they on there? Considering, considering the context of what they're doing on that platform, how they end, ended up looking at Reels. And so it might be a little bit more around, you know, whoever, not necessarily how-to videos, but more around just basic entertainment content or basic, uh, you know, basically Instagram, but in, in, in video style. And they're still trying to figure it out too. But on TikTok, yeah. you're going to have a little more of that playfulness, that that youthfulness, and, and also too that just weirdness to some degree that really has not penetrated reels so far, um, what, for whatever reason. So I, I think ultimately the way to look at it is thinking about who you're trying to reach and what your audience is, as opposed to mm-hmm. trying to game the platform. And I think that, that's that's going to be yeah. a really big theme in the future because right now you ba- especially like. TikTok, everyone's trying to mimic TikTok with their recommendation algorithm, their for you page. They it's it's like you create what you think is objectively great content. You you put it into their magical system, and TikTok says, "Okay, based on this content, we're going to show it to everyone who we think is going to enjoy it." And so they kind of do the distribution for you. They they find your audience for you. And so when you're thinking about creating your content, you just think about, "Okay, who is this for?" TikTok's TikTok's to make sure that based on who they think it's for and, and who it's made for, it's going to see it. And so if you're trying to reach a certain set of people and it's less about going to the right platform now, and it's more about, okay, how do we create the content that is right for these people? Because the platform will, will help you find them. And so take advantage of that platform juice and create the content that is right for that audience. So it's, it's really, I mean, it always comes back to understanding your audience, understanding you know what they're looking for and what they're interested in. Yeah. But I think it's more about, again, starting at that content level as opposed to, you know, thinking about the platform itself or trying to game the algorithm, so to speak. Because, yes, there's, there's something to, you know, getting those high numbers. It's it's great to be able to have those vanity metrics, but especially, you know, for this audience here with, with you guys and, and smaller teams, like if you if you have a TikTok go viral and you reach whatever, 20,000, 100,000 people, that's that's great and all. But I mean, ultimately, you're trying you're trying to get a few hundred people out to your games. And so it's. You know, are reaching the people that we actually need to be reaching. Yeah, we're not, we're genuinely not interested in going viral. I mean, it'd be, it'd, we're not going to say don't go viral. If we've got a, if we've got a jersey launch, then maybe we want to go viral, right? But we're playing next weekend against Rockford. No, what it doesn't matter if someone else also sees that. We don't care. We just need oh. to get saturated within our market. Um, so then, and I don't disagree with anything you're saying there. It's, it, it comes down to the segmentation of, but in my, in my very simplistic head, right? I've worked out that Instagram is for our players. TikTok is for our brand. Uh, sorry, Twitter is for our brand, and Facebook is for our fans. And it's very, very simplistic. It doesn't break down that, along those lines per se, but that's how we use it. Um, as a volunteer-run organization, as a you know short-staffed organization, 
we don't have the time and the capacity to create segmented content. Mm. Nobody does at this level. We don't have 57 interns and all that shit. <laughs> so um, we fall into the trap that I, you know, many small businesses do of just, we've got this thing, whether it's a video, whether it's a picture, whether it's, you know, a, a well-worded tweet, whatever, we're just going to share it across everything. Um, do you, and I appreciate that's bad form, but <laughs> go, it kind of circles back to what John was saying. Like, do you think there's, there's, there's more value in saying we are, quote, a TikTok brand and we're only going to put stuff on TikTok and we're not going to worry about the other places? Or is it better to spread ourselves thinly and, you know, just be, be is it better to be seen or to be good in one place? Uh, it's something that has come up a lot throughout my career that sort of, you know, I'm not going to like, spray and praise the wrong term, but I remember working with some early teams who were like, well, yeah, we're going to put this on. We're, we're going to join this this fringe social network because if it's more people that see our content, then, then why not? You know, it doesn't hurt. And, and there's, there's something to be said exactly. for that, yeah. um, you know, certainly. And and ultimately, too, just to, to double down on what we talked about earlier around, like, ultimately, it's, is the content good? Is the story good? And then it's more about how do you package it for the platform? Um, and and that, that does take time. It takes people to say, okay, we have this great story about this player who whatever, you know, uh, you know, lost his, his arm and now he has a prosthetic arm and he's like, whatever, you're trying to tell a great story and, and ultimately then how do we package it for each platform so that people that are uh, accustomed to watching a certain type of content or a certain, certain format of content can, can digest and consume that story. I will say, uh, um, to sort of get back at the root of that question, is there something to be said for being the best on a platform or being really, really good on a platform? And not too many teams out there can say that they are the best at something. You know, it's ultimately, like, would you rather be mediocre in a, a lot of things? Or would you rather be the best at, at one thing? And there, there's definitely value to being places where your fans or potential fans are and, you know, and, and trying to your best to package that content appropriately. But ultimately, if you're dealing with um, you know, really limited resources, you know, try to focus, A, on the platform that you feel like you can be the best at or among the best at. And also, of course, where are your fans most hanging out? Where are they spending their time and focusing on, on that platform? So it's a little bit about you know, stepping back and being willing to say, well, okay, we want to we at least have presence on this platform, but the majority of our fans or the fans that we're trying to reach are on this platform. So let's make sure that we're the best on there and we can do a, yeah. we can do a bit of repackaging for this other platform or even whatever, stick it on there. So that the fans are on there, they, they can go find it on, on the other platform that we that we know we're better Absolutely. at or we know where the experience is better. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it definitely it, there's a lot of considerations that go into that. But there's something to be said for we are we are the best at this more than any other team or any other entertainment yeah, option. Definitely. I agree. John? Yeah, I uh, this is a. I, I always go back to this question. So you put yourself, you put yourself on our uh, on our staff. Um, you just moved to the middle of Illinois, and you decided to help out a club like us. And you and Nick sit down, and you know, small budget. Look at where we are, what what we're trying to do, continue to grow year on year uh, for sustainability. What's 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 your first move? What's your approach? What's What's like, hey Nick, we need to, we need to shift and do this. Uh, where are you, where are you going right out of the gate? Oof, that's that's a that's a fun challenge. I mean, you're you're making me tempted now. I kind of want to move and write that down. Whatever he says. Oh, you're recording it, so we'll be fine. 
I, I would, before you answer before you answer yeah. that, Neil, I would say if if it is genuinely a fun challenge, we had on a few weeks back um, the, Sc- the Scottish football marketing guys. Um, mm-hmm. There's no reason you would have come across before, but um, Michael Bushell and and his friend and his friend Chris, Chris Sampson, back in the day, they did a thing whereby they literally did that. They created this fantasy club in Scottish League system mm-hmm. and just uh, and just revolutionised all its marketing. Marketing and it was it's a fantastic listen. But anyway, that's by the way. That's so cool. Uh, Something a, a, a lot of uh, the classes that I'll speak to once in a while. They'll, they'll do some of those like, hey, at your sports business class, sports marketing class. Here's a real life scenario. Give us your best ideas. And that's always fun to pick the brains of of the young of the youngsters, the kids these days who come up with some with some great stuff. I, something that I always like to do when working with someone new or someone that I don't know that much about is to try to figure out what's worked well in the past. Like, what what are your biggest home runs that you've hit? And trying to understand, you know, why was that a home run? Was it the way that you marketed it, distributed it? Was it a certain group of people that were you know particularly engaged with something? So always trying to learn from your learn from everything, learn learn from your hits and learn learn from your misses as well. And then trying to understand also what other, uh, what other, I guess, not comparisons or what other things in the community are driving the people that you want to reach. What are they doing that they, that, that they're, that they're doing instead of going to your games and trying to figure out, you know, why is it, is it because of affordability? Is it because of awareness? And then trying to tackle that those, the, whatever those answer are to, answers are to those questions, trying to tackle that a little bit. If it's affordability, then maybe we have, you know, a, a discount, discount night for them. If it is awareness, then how do we make sure that we hone our marketing channels? Another thing as well is then trying to go through what are our marketing channels currently and are there channels that we are either underutilizing or undervaluing or, or vice versa, overvaluing, overutilizing. So trying to make sure that you have a good handle as much as possible. Again, you don't have huge staffs, huge resources, and so you're not going to have like the deepest analytics or whatnot, but at least knowing like what are the little things that we can do to more effectively track our, our marketing spend. Whether it's a you know a, a ticket promo code or whatever it might be, or a, a being able to track where tickets are, are being bought, how they're how people are finding out about them, and using some basic surveys and talking to your super fans. That's one thing too, to be honest too, uh, is who are those fans that are at every game? Who are those fans that are at their first game? And sitting down and again doing going back to the idea of doing this on scale, call them up, talk to them, go sit next to them at a game and. Ask them how'd you find out about this, this uh, about about the game tonight, or if it's super fan. Hey, how'd you how'd you first become a fan? You know, why do you come to these games all the time? What 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 do you love about it? What do you not love about it? And trying to use that knowledge to to of course improve what you're doing as well, and trying to to re- recreate that a little bit so that you can create more super fans, and then vice versa with your casual fan. How'd you find out about this? And trying to trying to again take that qualitative knowledge and make and turn it to some degree into quantitative. Hey, we asked fifty fans last night. Um, you know, how they found out about the, uh, about the team for the first time. And this is what they said, you know, 10% said this, 30% said this, uh, maybe hey, this is not working as well as we think it is, or this is working better than we, better than we think it is. So I would always want to take a step back to understand what's working in that sense, in terms of fans getting out to the game. And similarly with a sort of audit of, of content as well, what, what content is resonating? What are fans talking about that are talking on your platforms? What are they asking about? What question, what are, what's the most common question that they ask? What's the most common request that you get at, at a given game? Uh, you know, what, what content, what are your content home runs? What are your content misses? Uh, and so really, it, it, it really helps take a step back and audit all those things. And then using that to then use your framework for, okay, these are the channels that are working for us. These are channels that are not. This is where we think we can make, we can move. This is what moves needle for us. It was, it was getting the most bang for our buck. This is, this is not. 
and always taking a step back and doing that. And then lastly, learning from your peers as well. And I mean, this is something that, that you guys do on this podcast all the time, of course, but trying to understand what are all the other marketing messages that are happening in our community and where, where, where should we be showing up that we're not, you know, where, who are the people that are, are there that we should be coming to our games or that are doing something else. And when they're doing something else, why are they doing that? How are they finding out about those other options and how can we kind of either piggyback or, you know, uh, steal a little bit and borrow some of the other attention to, to get out there as well. Last, last thing is figuring out who are the influencer people in your community? Who, who are the people that are moving the needle in the community, whether it's a local news broadcaster, a local celebrity, um, you know, even a, whatever, whoever, whoever, or however it might be, you know, who are the people that, that can move the needle a lot for us? I mean, even at the major pro sports space, you know, we wanted to really help, try to reach families more effectively. And so we understood, we started learning, okay, there's this mom blogger that, we're, that writes for the local newspaper sometimes, but she mostly has her own blog. And so we started working with her and that really helped a little bit. And we, and we started pushing out a family, family pack through her. Uh, similarly, there might be someone that's really active in, in the school system or the school board or the, or the youth sports leagues. How do we, how do we partner with them and, and figure out who that, again, who those move, movers and shakers are in the community so that you can leverage them to hopefully become a super fan, become an ambassador. And all of a sudden you can help each other out and finding those, those mutual partnerships. You know, we, we often um, times, unfortunately, hear the word sponsor and partner kind of conflated a little bit and thrown, thrown, thrown together too much. There's a difference between part, a partner and a sponsor or, or, and a partner and an advertiser. So if you can find the people that are truly partners that you are helping each other out. And all of a sudden now, a, you know, whether it's a barter or at least a, a mutual value exchange, that's what really comes into play of, hey, you know, you guys can, you guys can uh, whatever, give free blood tests at our flu, flu vaccines at our games in exchange, and, and, and we'll also have people buy tickets to our games at your at your clinic, um, for a for whatever price, or get a get a T-shirt when they come to your clinic. So those mutual partnerships also help just such a great deal to to move all the needles uh, at the, at the same time. So there's there's a lot there, uh, but I sure. think ultimately it starts with <laughs> auditing your your channels, meeting your super fans, meeting your casual fans, understanding understanding them, using the power of that that not not survey but conversation. Uh, and understand the, the community that you're in and, and what you're what you're up against and, and who can help move the needle a little bit. Well, I'm conscious of time, Neil. You said you had to be gone at, on the half hour. So um, I'm going to wrap it up now. It's been fantastic. It was not the interview I was expecting, I'll be fully frank. Um, <laughs> but I mean that in a good way. There's been far more, been a far more of a knowledge outpour than I was expecting. I was like, I had questions that I just never got to. Um, John, have you got anything that you are, want to wrap up with? No, I, I'm good. I appreciate it, Neil. I think you, you, I, as I always do, I have a ton of notes here on my other screen and uh, I, I, I will bother Nick with ideas and concepts and things. Sure. So I appreciate okay. your time. It's been great meeting you and uh, all the best moving forward. Anytime Neil, before you go, where can people get hold of you if they like? If they like the sound of your voice, where can they get you? Hell yeah! Um, the home for everything. You can find everything on the website dsmsports.net, digital social media sports dsmsports.net, and then on Twitter where I'm most active and annoying um, njh287, on uh, and hit me up on LinkedIn also. But love this kind of conversations. Love to geek out even more. There's, there's topics that I want to geek out on more with you guys too that we don't have time for. But this is uh, this is the good stuff, guys. Fantastic. Well, it's been it's been a treat, Neil. Thank you so much for that. Best luck with the rest of your day. Take care, my friend. Later, guys. Thanks so much. Lego, San Diego. Dan, Dan, Dandy, San Diego, where the sweet perfume of the waterfront fills the air.